Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Day to Heal the podcast. I'm here in Studio B, but today, Pastor Nick, I have a very special guest today, the man, the myth, the legend, Avi Lipkin. Great to be here. <laughs> it is good to be here, I tell you. You know, we, uh, we get special opportunities when we get you in. I don't know if I ever told you this. Um, but when we first started coming to Bay to Healer, my wife and I, we had been before that watching, um, you know, prophecy in the news back then with J.R. Church and Gary Stearman and, uh, you know, Derek Gilbert and Tom Horn and all these guys. And uh, that was kind of what canceling the cable and then watching those things as our entertainment, so to speak, is how we ended up in the Hebrew to begin with. But uh, we were sitting here in the congregation for a service one day and they said Avi Lipkin will be here and my wife had met you at a prophecy conference I think in Orlando at one time probably the Brubaker conference probably God's news behind the nose yeah oh I think it was I was I was watching the kids at home and her and her mom went and uh so when we found out you were going to be here we're like wait these people know Avi Lipkin it gave Beit Tehillah a lot of credibility when we first started coming here knowing that you know they knew you and they're like oh yeah we've known Avi for 20 years or something. I was like, wow. We were were in jail together with him. (laughs) That's too funny. So anyways, I want to uh, learn a little bit more about Avi Lipkin, the man, you know, and I think that's what we'll do today. Um, Last time you were here, we talked about uh, the dangers of Islam and, and, uh, or I should say radical Islam and the ideologies that are uh, working their way into the West and all that stuff. So um, I've also had your son, Aaron, on. What an awesome man he is, and uh, we really appreciate him. And he does our tours. And I don't know if uh, anybody's familiar, but whenever Israel, whenever Beit Tehillah takes a trip to Israel uh, for a tour, we use Lipkin Tours, which is uh, Avi's son's company tour group, and they do a fantastic job. Um, but uh, tell us about about you. So I know you you grew up. You said it was in Argentina. No, no, no. Okay. okay. Well, then to tell us where <laughs> tell us where where it begins. You know, uh, very often as a young uh, boy or young man, I used to complain because I felt that I was so mixed up from so many different backgrounds that I didn't really know who I was. Sure. And uh, as I grew older and older, I I saw things were more and more complex than I I could have ever imagined. And uh, like many uh, Jewish people in America, uh, I my grandparents were from Russia, Poland. And they uh, left Russia, Poland, and but they didn't go straight to America. They went to Argentina. Ah, okay. Because at that time it was easier to go to Argentina than to go to the United States. Sure. And uh, when my parents got married and grew up, they were Spanish-speaking Argentinian Jews, and they moved to New York. And I was born a few months later, so I'm American, American-born, but I okay. spoke Spanish first uh, in my home. <laughs> so you're. Uh... Spanish-speaking New York Jew. I'm Hispanic, yeah. Yeah, okay, all right. And uh, so... <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Wait a second. So yeah. then my parents, because they grew up very poor in Argentina, there was no synagogue, there was no Hebrew education, 
when they came to New York, they said, we have to give our kids a Hebrew education, a Jewish education. So I went to synagogue, and then I started learning Hebrew. And then, so I had learned Hebrew, and I had a teacher from Israel who helped me actually to write the David Ben-Gurion in Hebrew. Okay. And, the first, and he was the first prime minister of Israel, and he answered me. I got two letters from Ben-Gurion. And the letters convinced me, when I was 15, that I needed to move to Israel, which sure. I did when I was 19. Then I met my wife, and my wife's from Egypt, so she spoke Arabic. So uh, I had to learn Arabic also. Yeah. So it's English, Spanish, Hebrew, Arabic. Yeah. And the university, I studied Russian and Greek. Okay, yeah. Which is very good if you're a Bible scholar. Also. Sure, sure. And uh, all of these things aimed me uh, towards a very, very cosmopolitan uh, way of living and thinking. Uh, I'm radiated by the cultures of so many different not countries only, but areas. Got it. Okay, I see what you mean. So that that, but what I wanted to share really was my parents, because they grew up poor in Argentina, uh, and they were the only Jews in their neighborhoods where they lived in Buenos Aires and other parts of Argentina. Uh, they grew up uh, with Catholic uh, school children, their age. Um, my mom actually went to a convent because my grandfather was a traveling salesman based in the interior of the country. And the only school was a Catholic convent. And uh, they knew my mom was Jewish, so they didn't teach her catechisms or any of that stuff, you know, yeah. but, they, but they treated my mom so well. And my, my mom really loved the nuns very much. And so the funny thing, the part of the story is when my parents moved to New York, uh, we lived for a number of years in Flushing, New York. And that is a solidly Irish Catholic neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, so the nuns, you know, would come knocking on our door, on all the doors to raise money for the church. Yeah. And my mom would give them the money and say, uh, you know, I'm not Catholic, I'm Jewish. But too funny. I loved the nuns so much when I was a young girl in Argentina. They were so kind to me. Uh, and my mom uh, used to sit at their feet listening to Bach, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach, who they were playing on the organ in the yeah. convent. And I think I grew up loving Bach in utero. I got it from my yeah, mom. Yeah. Uh, love for classical music. Again, all these different cultures in our house. Sure. You know, Spanish and classical. And anyway, so, and my father was very funny. He would go out into the street at age five to pay, play soccer with his Argentine school buddies. We're all Catholic. And uh, there really wasn't so much, you know, food in the house. So the Catholic priest would come from the church, gather up all the children, and take them to the church, probably to have breakfast because there was no food in the homes. So sure. These were all poor kids, you know. And my father, who, I rest in peace, he lived till 99. He recited the Lord's Prayer what? in Spanish. <laughs> never forgot it. <laughs> he must have learned a whole lot of things in that Catholic I bet church, he did. let me tell you. So anyway, so I was taught, I, it wasn't that I was taught, I was taught later, in retrospect, uh, to love the Christians because when I went to Hebrew school, I was taught to hate the Christians. Interesting. That yeah, the Christians yeah, yeah. are the bad guys. Muslims are the good guys. Christians are the bad guys because of Spain in 1492. Sure. And uh, it wasn't until I moved to Israel when I met my wife. And my wife said to me, you know, are you crazy? I said, why am I crazy? This is our first meeting on a cup of coffee. Sure. She said to me, why did you leave America? Huh? Only crazy people leave America. Yeah. I said to her, well, you know, the, the Gentiles hate us, the Goyim, the Gentiles, they hate us. And she, because in America, you were a Jew or you were a Gentile. That's yeah, how I grew up. Sure. And my wife said to me, and who are the Gentiles? I said, the Christians. Either you're a Jew or you're a Christian. Either you're a Jew or a Gentile. And she said to me, not only are you crazy, 
you also don't know anything. Huh? And she said to me, Christians, Christians cannot be Gentiles because Christians have the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says seven times in the New Testament. Yeah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sure, sure. Uh, they have the same Torah as the Jews. And the Messiah is a Jew from Israel who speaks Hebrew. So yeah. for Christians, it's Jesus Christ. You know, terrific. But they're not Gentiles. Gentiles means pagans. And when I go to churches and the pastor says, we welcome our Jewish brother Avi and we Gentiles, and I stop it. Yeah. I say, you're not Gentiles. Gentiles are pagans. Uh, interesting. So my wife said to me, the Muslims, they're good people because they're people in the image of God. But they're the pagans. They're the Gentiles. Interesting. So I hope the first thing, um, if only the only thing people get from this broadcast is that Christians aren't uh, Gentiles because they're not pagans. Yeah. And you know, in Ephesians, it says that uh, you, he's speaking to, I think it's like verse 10 or 11, he says, to you who are in times past Gentiles, yeah. who right. used to be a Gentile. Right. Right. But now, because you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right. are no longer. And uh, uh, to make it a little deeper, the word Gentiles means the nations. Sure. Yeah, Goy, it's just a nation. The nations that were not at Mount Sinai when Moses and all these two million people who left Egypt, you know, a lot of other slaves mm -hmm. fled with the Israelites. Sure. Uh, there were people who suffered from leprosy. They had leper colonies mm -hmm. and they all fled. There were, that's why you have so many ch chapters in the Bible about leprosy. Interesting. Because a lot of the people who accompanied the Israelites were lepers. And... Uh, Anyone who was at Mount Sinai is part of that covenant. Yeah. Uh, and for people who became Christians, believe in Jesus Christ. So they are now grafted in to the legacy of Mount Sinai. Right. Uh, so, for example, I'll tell you, I love the Chinese. I love the Hindus. I love, but they, they are not part of the covenant because no, they don't know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. And the Muslims also don't. The Muslims have another God, Allah, the moon God, the war God, and the sword God. And their God is greater, they say, sure. than the God of the Jews and the Christians. And if you're a Christian, you know that it was Satan who said he was greater than God before his fall from heaven. Yep. And also one of the names of Allah is Al-Makr, which means the greatest of all the liars and deceivers. So in Islam, it's a virtue to lie, yeah, yeah. which is the opposite of what we Jews and Christians share. Interesting. So, oh, that's incredible. I'll, I'll tell you the... Most of the time when I've encountered other, especially Orthodox Jews, they look at the Muslims as if they believe in the same God. Correct. And they look at the Christians as if we're pagan. Right. And so it's it's obviously comforting to hear that there are folks out there within the Jewish community that think the opposite, you know? Well, uh, you know what? When you go to seminary three years, I mean, it's true. I went to this uh, heretical uh, conservative Judaism seminary in Jerusalem. You learn things and you learn the history and the history is um, that uh, the church okay when was the talmud written talmud was written in the year 500 a.d at that time in 500 a.d yeah okay the mishnah which pre predates okay. the talmud is 200 a.d okay um but in the talmud it says but that is, i mean my understanding was the babylonian talmud was written in babylon no uh, yes and no. Okay. Don't forget, during the Roman persecutions, uh, the Jewish community in Babylonia was thriving. Okay, good to know. I didn't know so that. this went, yeah, this, you stick with me. Anyway, <laughs> so what happened was, um, the early churches, until the Protestant Reformation. Oh, wow. So 1500s, right? Had statues. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Protestants took out the statues. That's right. But uh, the it says in the Talmud, Jews are not allowed to go to houses of pagan worship. Correct. Which, which I mean, the whole pantheon of saints is is just a holdover from pagan idolatry. For so, sure. so by the way, I would go to a Catholic church also if I were invited. Sure. Um, and I actually spoke in front of the main uh, assembly hall of the Catholic Church in Brownsville huh. uh, in Spanish. Huh. It was very well received. Huh. Um, then after I left the church, that the priest there was banned. Huh. <laughs> he was sent off. To so far, he was punished for having me. But um, I love Catholics. I love Protestants. Because I'm a Jew, I love everybody. I love Southern uh, Baptists. I also love Northern Baptists. Yeah, yeah. And you know the difference between them? Mm, no. Northern Baptists go to hell. Uh, I heard this. Yeah, this is like the old uh, <laughs> guy falls off a cliff and he's hanging by the edge. You yeah. know what I mean? And the guy runs up to the side and he says, hey, uh, are you Baptist? And the guy says, yes, I'm Baptist. Says, oh, awesome. He says, are you uh, Reformed Baptist or Unreformed Baptist or Primitive? Yeah. And he says, oh, I'm Reformed Baptist. Okay. 1783 or 1852 or whatever. You know, the years. He's like, 1753. He stomps on his hand and kicks him off. <laughs> It's a heretic. <laughs> Sorry. Good Baptist jokes. Uh, yes. So anyway, so the um, our famous uh, philosopher, Maimonides, who lived, I think it was 11-something to 12-something. I don't keep forgetting the years. Um, he would say that uh, on the one hand, he would say that Jews should not go into a church because it is a house of pagan worship mm -hmm. because of the idols. Right. Uh, he said it was permissible and this is what the rabbis say it is permissible for a jew to go into a mosque because there are no uh, idols there's nothing uh yeah or, or pictures or, or you know, icons but on the other hand uh, maimonides did also say that it is permissible to teach torah to a christian mm -hmm. because christians revere the torah just like the jews do mm -hmm. uh, it is forbidden to teach a muslim the torah because he will use that information to destroy the torah yeah because the Quran replaces the Judeo-Christian Bible. Right, well, and it says that it's corrupted, right? Which was- It was corrupted by rabbis well, and priests. But see, but the Quran doesn't say that, correct? It's only the sheikhs and the, the imams that say that, but yeah. the Quran says that it upholds the validity of the Torah, right? Right, and who, well, yes and no. Who wrote the Quran? A rabbi and a priest. So uh, tell me about that. Who, the, so the, the rabbi was Ovadia ben Shalom. That's his name in Hebrew. Okay. And in Arabic, uh, his name was Abdullah ibn Salam. It's the same name, but in Arabic. Sure. And uh, the priest was Sergius Bukhaira. And you have to remember that you have New Testament and have Old Testament and have Talmud in the Quran because it was written by a rabbi and a priest. Sure. Uh, and they promised these two men of God, the Christian and the Jew, their freedom. Uh, but then when they completed the work, they were stoned to death. They oh, were, go figure, right? They, yeah, because lying is a virtue in Islam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is a sad aspect of history. One of my uh, sadnesses is that Jews and Christians do not read the Quran. Mm -hmm. And in order to read the Quran, you really need to study the Talmud first and the New Testament first, mm -hmm. because then you see the fingerprint in the Quran of the rabbi and the priest. Got it. That I just mentioned. And this is all in my book, Islam Prophesied in Genesis, my book number five. Okay. And my website is biblicalalliance.com and okay. people can order it from biblicalalliance.com.
Right. And yeah, you've written, I mean, seven, seven books. Okay. Right. Yeah. And they're all color coded, which is kind of cool. I, I started yeah. to notice that because you'll say like, oh, my yellow book, right? Yeah. Which is the return to Mecca or right. my black book, which is the, you know, Islam prophesied in medicine. Genesis, yeah. Um, and then there's the red book, right? And the red book is about terrorism. Yeah. Right. Or the right color for it. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, so, well, I, I want to totally change topics, but you, you did, did you encounter Islam? before you ended up in Israel, or were you more dealing with Christians and Jews uh, growing up all through high school? Because you went to high school here in the States, right? Right. Um, and that was what, New York? Yes, in New York. And the answer to that is neither. Okay. Because when I uh, lived in New York until age 19, I had zero contact with Christians other than the lies that I was taught in Hebrew school, mm. that all Christians are bad and they all hate us. Interesting. So I just preferred to move to Israel and get away from yeah, America. Sure. I don't really think I ever really hated the Christians. I just thought, well, if they hate me, then right. what am I doing in America? Right. Uh, as far as the Muslims, what I had was a romanticized view of 1492, in which the Muslims and the Jews had been allies in Spain for 760 years. And when the Catholics won in 1492, they expelled the Muslims and the Jews together. God. And actually, my wife is from a Spanish family that fled to Morocco and Turkey because uh, the, the Turkish Empire took in the Jews who fled from the Catholic persecution. Interesting. And then it somehow ended up in Egypt at some point. They came to Egypt uh, three generations ago. And uh, so, of course, my wife speaks uh, Egyptian Arabic. Uh, she grew up in, in a Muslim ambience. You know, it's funny. We're both Jewish. So my wife and I are, are permitted to each other by religion. But I'm a Jew who thinks like a Christian, and she's a Jew who thinks like a Muslim. Huh? And so she has been my teacher for the last 54 years. Yeah. And I would never have written the seven books that I, that I wrote uh, without the inspiration and guidance of my wife. And um, I would not be speaking in a thousand churches like I have over the last 33 years. My wife is the one who really gave me a preparation that I would never have if I had married, say, a girl from Argentina or a girl from the U.S. or Russia. Yeah. You know, I had to marry that specific woman. And God had me meet her. It was like lightning out of a clear blue sky. So how did you meet your wife? Obviously, you guys both met in Israel, right? We met on a bus. Huh. And it was hated first sight. <laughs> and w what happened was I was wearing my youth movement uniform. And you have to understand, in Israel, we have like a million political parties. I'm exaggerating a little. Yeah, we have yeah. 40 political parties. By the way, my Bible block party is one of the parties. Yes, yeah, yeah. we're going to get to that for sure. Yeah, but um, when I met her in 1970, there were maybe about 15, 20 parties, say it's 40 parties. And I was wearing <laughs> the uniform of my youth movement, which was kind of like a Boy Scout uniform. It was actually a dark blue New York police shirt with a light blue tie and like a cap, you know, okay. Air Force type cap from those days. Okay. And epaulets and braids and buttons and decorations. I was very, very active in the Beitar youth movement. And I get on this bus in Jerusalem after one of our activities, and um, there were a few uh, students from Argentina, Uruguay, uh, on the bus, communists. And what had happened was their parents got them on a plane to Israel, got them out of Argentina, but these communists and socialists were being uh, picked up by the police and the military and then tortured and then thrown out of aircraft uh, over the Atlantic, of course, without a parachute. Not that a parachute would have helped them, I mean, middle no, of the Atlantic. Yeah, wow. 
30,000 uh, desaparecidos, 30,000 uh, people disappeared. So the kids on that bus were back, actually survivors that the parents sent to Israel. Wow. And uh, I didn't know that. See, there's so much history out there that we don't even know about. Well, it's not only knowing, it's living it. Yeah. Because, as I said before, my background, I'm being radiated all the time by all this different... Uh, later, it was Cultures, the, Christian, yeah, the Christian yeah. culture that radiated me. But when I met my wife, she was with this group of Argentine communists. God. And uh, they were all holding shopping bags. They'd come out of the supermarket. It was just before Sabbath. And uh, I get on the bus, you know, and uh, all of a sudden I hear them cursing me and my mother. Because in Spanish, you know, they, they like to curse the mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I turned around and my eyes fell on that poor lady who became my wife. Yeah. And I started yelling at her in Argentine Spanish. And she went like this. She says, no, 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 no. I'm, I know something's going on here. I'm not part of it. You know, I said, where are you from? From Egypt. I said, idiota. You know, idiot. You're yelling at the wrong person. Yeah. And I apologized and forgot about the Argentines. By the way, later, these Argentine communists became my best friends. How funny. We would pick on each other. We'd have a great time. Yeah. But uh, I said to my wife, I'm the editor of the English language newspaper at Hebrew University. Can I interview you? And she said, sure. So, you know, I ended up carrying her shopping bags to her dorm room and we got married. Huh? And uh, <laughs> I said to her, so, uh, can you make me a cup of coffee? So oh. in about five minutes, there was all this food on the table. I didn't know where all this food came oh, from. Oh yeah, she. I said that's the she one. She won you. Yeah, that was, that was the it. one. <laughs> the way to a man's heart is yeah. through the stomach. Oh yeah, of course. And so she prepares me the coffee. I take out my pouch, and that's when she said to me, "You know, before you ask me anything, I want to ask you: Are you crazy? You know, why yeah. did you leave America? You don't know anything. Christians are not pagans. They're not Gentiles, and um, and." 54 years, I'm with my wife, you know, every discussion starts out, are you crazy? You yeah. don't know anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, but she she's consistent. But she didn't kill me. <laughs> she keeps me on a tight rein. I bet she does. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so now you've been married for 54 years. Yeah. I mean, what's, how do you stay married for 54 years? That's uh, well, you know, there's something called fear of the Lord and something called fear of the woman. Oh, Roger that. And... <laughs> And uh, I love her. She is uh, the love of my life. She is the mother of my children. My two best sons, Aaron is one of them, uh, and my nine grandkids. And uh, she's mother hen. She henpecks everybody. Yeah. Drives everyone crazy. <laughs> you know what? I would not be alive today without my wife henpecking me, Amen. taking care of my health. Yeah. Amen. God gave her to me. Amen. That's good. All right. So you were already part of a youth movement. You called it what? The Beitar? Beitar. And it used to what be. What is Beitar? House of what? Uh, no, no. It was Brit Yosef Trumpeldor Riga. Okay, so it's an acronym. It's a, yeah. Uh, Trumpeldor, Joseph Trumpeldor was a great <clears throat> Russian war hero who lost his arm fighting the Japanese in 1905. When he moved to Israel, uh, he was a pioneer. Okay. And he died in one of the settlements, Tel Chai, in the north of Israel. And, and he was fighting with one arm, you know, he had a pistol in one hand and he wow. was shooting these terrorists, but they killed him. And so it's called the Covenant of Josef Trumpeldor Riga. Riga is the capital of Latvia. And uh, that's where the youth movement started in 1923. So was it a political movement? I mean, political, absolutely political. And, and, and what, was, what was it? 
it doesn't sound communist, but comes no, from, no, it, it comes was, from Latvia. So it, it, it was it was right wing anti communist, right wing anti communist. And in fact, uh, uh, if you're following the news today in Israel, there's a problem with what they call the judicial reforms. Right, right, right. And in one sentence, what it is basically is that the uh, socialists and communists have been controlling all spheres of Israeli public life for the last hundred years. Right. And the courts are also in the hands of uh, judges who are socialists and communists. Yeah. You know, I don't think a lot of Christians understand the communist influence over Israel. Right. Like the whole idea of a kibbutz. You it, know? It's a kolkhoz in Russia. Right. So it's a commune. Yeah. Right. And these people put everything in together and everybody owns everything together. Right. And I know that um, over time, capitalism has slowly but surely taken over as a as an economic system over right. there. But I, I think it's there's still some holdovers within the the law. Like I was, who was I talking to? We were at a farm in Itamar, and the guy was trying to get chickens to start raising chickens. And here in the U.S., if you want to start raising chickens, you just start raising chickens. If you want to sell eggs, you got to get your permit and you got to you know keep your cleanliness standards or whatever. But there's no limit to the number of permits. Right. This guy was having to enter into a lottery to be able to raise chickens. Right. And he wanted, you know, he had already set up all the infrastructures, getting ready to, you know, try to get 2,500 chickens. But like I said, you know, it's still that communist holdover where they're allowing certain people to do certain things and other people not to. It's not who you are or what you know. Yeah. It's who you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was, and that's the odd part about communism. You would think it wouldn't be that way because everybody romanticizes this concept of, Everyone, you know, what is it? Everybody according to their need or everybody according to their ability or, you know, whatever the... I'll never forget in my first visit to Israel in 1966, I was told by my host uh, that it takes six months from the moment you order a telephone to get a telephone line to your house. Six months. Yeah. Socialism. Yeah, that is, that's socialism. And now you, you want a phone, everyone is running after you to give you a phone. Right. But that's capitalism. It is. It and is. Israel has become a, a capitalist a powerhouse. For sure. But the people who control that are socialists. <laughs> well, and that's the odd part. I think that the holdovers are, you, like you mentioned, in the judicial system. So um, my understanding is that the way the judicial system works currently, or at least the Supreme Court in Israel, what we would consider the Supreme Court in Israel, they it's a it's a good old boy network where right. they... Where they appoint themselves over and over right so they and they put, bring in family members and friends people who are close to them and so there's no there's no uh, democratic or republic system where they're electing these people correct. or or elected body is then appointing those people like we do correct. in the states correct <clears throat> so then now what's happening is the Knesset is trying to change that so that the Knesset will appoint them and then some other group will, or I'm sorry or the prime minister or president will appoint them there, the there will be will actually them. a committee Right, and the committee will be will comprise judges, politicians, uh, elected officials, and, and people also who are not exactly with this group or that group. Sure. In order to have a more a broader uh, approach to how we should appoint our judges. Right, because right now you have a left wing court, and then they continue to appoint people like them. Right. Another thing, also, they are very racist. Ooh. In other words, my wife Rachel is from the Jews of Egypt. The Sephardic Jews, the Jews who sure. emanated from Spain. Sure. There are no. There's only one judge out of dozens who comes from the you know Middle Eastern Jewry. Uh, also, uh, Arab judges is only one. Interesting. 
And uh, if you're going by proportional, uh, there should be Arab judges, there should be more Sephardic judges. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, these are white European Ashkenazi Jews who, I don't want to say they don't believe in God, but they are socialists. Who would vote Democrat if they were here? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, by the way, that's why Biden supports them. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Well, and this was the odd part to me because I, I saw that, I, I guess there's a part of me that's a little naive. And I like to think that the United Nations or these other international bodies, that there's some good there and that it's not all a sham, that there really isn't this global conspiracy to just basically knock down all good, virtuous, righteous things. Right. Right. That's in my mind. Right. <laughs> but then things like the Israeli Supreme Court issue comes up and we see that they're the only nation. And there, you know, there's, there's the 20 top nations in the UN, the United States, the United Kingdom, you go down the list. All of them appoint their judges from, and, or at least confirm them from an elected body so that the people who are confirming them are elected officials right. by the people, right? There's this democratic system. Right. And so Israel's the only one in that category of quote-unquote democratic nations that does it that way. Right. So then what's, why are all these countries up in arms, supposedly, about Israel's judicial reforms. I mean, I don't even understand if they're, if Israel's coming closer to being like these nations and doing taking a step forward, supposedly, in the direction that they're already in, why are they opposing it? One of the things that these um, one world order uh, <laughs> countries or leaderships are, are saying, for example, uh, who agrees with what Israel is doing regarding the uh, the Supreme Court, Hungary, which is you know Catholic and very conservative, Poland, which is Catholic, very conservative. There are certain Italy. Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, just went to Italy, met with Prime Minister Maloney, who is Christian conservative. Okay. And um, see, the one world government doesn't like them either. Yeah, sure. And there is a battle for the soul. Yeah of uh, European countries. Uh, I personally think, uh, with, as time goes by, and as the Islamic threat grows with their population numbers in Europe, that more and more uh, European countries will turn towards the right, right wing and religious. It seems that way, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as, as the, the darkness encroaches, people are attracted to the light yeah. versus the, the gray. They want to save their country. Shadowy areas. Well, they, it does, it's not until it hits them in the face and they start to get some reality, right? Splash in the face. Because when, when you're left with affluence, right, there's dangers to too much affluence, right? Yes, and one of the reasons that the Muslims were brought in as immigrants into Europe was because the white Christian Europeans decided it was nice to have one child per family. And then in the end, they had a labor shortage, and right. they had to bring in the Muslims and also black people from Africa to come to work. Yeah, they needed they needed a labor class. Yeah, because they just didn't even have the people to do it. Correct. That's unfortunate, and it's 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 true in in Western economies in general. Um, yeah. You know, people are so self centered; they're not family centered. Right. And so everything's all about the individual, and because of that, now what we have. 1.3 children per family. Right. You know, I personally have four kids. I feel like I'm doing my God. part. I go to a congregation where there's, you know, our pastor has eight children. Uh, our other pastor has six children. You know, people are, there's plenty of families around here well, with lots of kids. They're, they're secretly Catholic. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my two boys have four kids and five kids each. So I said, oh, they're secret, they're Jews, but they're secretly Catholic because <laughs> they have a lot of kids. Yeah, I don't know, man. The, uh, the, I, 
the you know the settler group that yeah. I meet over there, you know, the groups that are pioneers in the right. uh, in Judea and Samaria. Absolutely. Boy, they're having a lot of kids over yeah. there. Praise God, they are, man. And I'll tell you what, if they don't if they don't expand their number, it takes longer to do it by having kids, right? right. Because you got to wait for them to grow up, right? But I mean, the next generation and the generation after that, boy, you've got a lot of people that are. Listen, we, we right have surpassed five hundred thousand Jewish settlers in Judea and Samaria. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot, and then um, you know what. Oddly enough, I drive through uh, Judea and Samaria, and you go through these Arab towns, and they're all like vacant. I mean, these houses have you know three, four stories to them, but like you can look through and see that the only the bottom story is occupied, if it is at all, and then the other three stories aren't even built out. You know, it's, it's also there are a lot of uh, these uh, Arab, uh, well, Palestinians uh, in quotes. Uh, yeah, um, they go abroad. To make their money, and then they send the money home to build the house. So they're not really living there, right? Right, right. Uh, or they come for a few months out of the year, right? I mean, I shouldn't uh, criticize them because I also come to the states for three, four months of the year to work. Sure. And the rest of the time, I'm in Israel on my computer, writing books and meeting people and stuff. But yeah. I'm Judeo-Christian Bible block party. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get into that. I, yeah. the, the, the Bible block party. Um, you you mentioned that you've been working on this for a long time. Yes, from 1998. Wow, so that's 24 years, 25 years. And so what's the premise? Obviously, you know, Israeli politics can be confusing, I think, to most people, but uh, the basis of it is a parliamentary government. There's multiple parties. People don't vote for people into, right. the, into the legislature, right, which they call the Knesset. Right. They vote for parties. You vote for lists. Right. Each party has a list of candidates. Okay. And uh, you have <laughs> to uh, have at least 140,000 votes. Uh, for the first four members of Knesset. It's about 35,000 votes per member of Knesset, but it's not enough that you get 35,000 votes. You have to get four times that amount, 140,000, to get the first four in. They don't want little parties. They want parties of at least... Uh, Interesting. I didn't know that. So yeah. so that's, that's a barrier to entry. It's a barrier to entry, uh, and uh, it, it, let me tell you, it's hard for us. Uh, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, we have 10,000 uh, Messianics in Israel, maybe 15,000, nobody really knows. Uh, and we only get 400 votes in each election. And I talk to these Messianic people. They love me. They love yeah. the party. But they say, if we don't have 140,000 votes, it's like we throw the votes in the garbage. Sure. So we vote for Netanyahu. Yeah. It's the next best thing. And uh, it's, it'll be very hard for me ever to reach 140,000 unless God uh, intervenes sure. and opens up some new doors. And we'll see. And we've been in five elections already. So, and, and that's, that's hard to, to, to build a party when you're constantly campaigning, right? Because then right. all your dollars go to that instead of actually building up you know, right. a base of people that understand. Right. So, so then help us understand, um, obviously only Israeli citizens can vote. Correct. And so then for you, telling all of us about the party doesn't necessarily grow the party, except it may be some way of a fundraising. I don't know if that's legal Fundraising uh, in a moderate way. Sure. Uh, because you have to remember that uh, foreigners are not allowed to pay, to pay into the Israeli political system. Sure. So then we just buy books and then you do what you need to do. I declare yeah. every penny I get. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it says in the New Testament, give unto the Lord that which is the Lord's and give unto Caesar that which is sure. Caesar's. In my case, it's give unto the Lord that which is the Lord's and give unto the two Caesars huh. that which the two Caesars are stealing from you because I pay taxes to Uncle Sam and I pay taxes in Israel. Oh, wow. Uh, but the money has to go through me and then I'm not allowed to give so much money. Uh, uh, I, I'm only allowed to give like um, 
three thousand shekels uh, a year, oh, wow. which is like five hundred, six hundred dollars. Um, and it's very hard to get new people to join the party because I'm all the time in the states raising money for what I'm doing. Yeah. And then, for example, next week, uh, I have to pay my lawyer, uh, my debt to the lawyer. And the lawyer has been doing a very good job. Yeah. Uh, I have my secretary, my uh, office, everything. I own forty-five thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah. And uh, they sent me a letter. I'll show you uh, on my huh? telephone if huh? you want. We are ready to forego half if you pay half. So this coming week, I'm going to have to take a loan. Yeah. To pay it. Yeah. Yeah. Only God knows how I'll return it. I'm confident I'll return it, but this week I'm sending $22,000 to my lawyers, yep. and then we are debt-free. Wow. Okay, cool. Uh, but the money has to be uh, a loan. Mm-hmm. I have to give it as a loan. And then one day when the party has hundreds of thousands of members, I, I, one day the party will decide to return So you money. could be giving the party a loan? Yes. So people could give you money to help loan? After I pay the taxes, then I can give a loan to the party. <laughs> give a loan to the party when the party is rich then you know yeah, yeah. we get funding from the government then we get the money back God, okay, that makes it's, sense. it's a little complicated and so, you, you have to be committed to the long term so i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a dreamer yeah okay so I, join the join the crowd i know you are too yeah. um and i know that people like the story help me understand what is the, there's there's a 40 parties as you mentioned right and there's no party in israel uh that fits what what you describe as, right there are as no the christian candidates no Christian or Messianic candidates in any of the parties other than mine. And my purpose is to give representation to Christians and Messianics in the land of Israel. Got it. And so so right but now... Also, uh, Jews who may be Reformed, Conservative, or Orthodox who don't fit the mold of yeah. the other parties. Got it. Got it. Because there's, you know, like recently the religious Zionist group, right? So it was Smotrich and, and Ben Gavir. Yeah. Uh, these guys have obviously... Uh, there's a large coalition of those guys. This is going to be the ones that are in Judea and Samaria that are right. pioneers, that right. are, you know, Israeli nationalistic, you know, uh, group. Also, um, I would say some of them anti-Christian, but a lot of them not, because um, I think Judea and Samaria gets a lot of support from the Christians. Right. Um, which so you can't be anti-Christian and also desire the support of the Christians. Right. right. I suppose. Um, but then you have the super ultra-Orthodox groups, right. which is what, the Shah's party? Shah's and also Degela Torah, which okay. is a, a, a European Jewish ultra-Orthodox. And so uh, you have this group, and then you have like what would be the normal, call it Republican right-wing establishment party, which is the Likud. Correct. And this is the largest uh, party right. in the Knesset. And then, so then there's an Arab list, right? A group that's against everybody, pretty much. Cause yeah. Because his hand will be against every man and every right. man's hand against him. So this is the Islamic group. And then right. and then you have like some what? Some leftist groups? Uh, yes, they're about 15, 20%. So, so, okay, so then you have a labor party, which they call what? Well, it's it's called labor party. Okay, and then there's a blue and white party. Which is kind of middle of the road, yeah. Okay. Is it really middle of the road? Uh, I would say uh, slightly, I wouldn't say leftist, I would say liberal tendencies. Okay, liberal yeah. liberal tendencies. Which takes him towards the left, actually. Sure, well, and puts him in the coalition yeah. with that right. side, right. and the group that Smotrick and Shaw's probably won't deal with those guys. Well, they will deal, but uh, the problem is that the uh, blue and white are so critical, and so harsh against uh, Likud and uh, right-wing religious that... Uh, they're not looking uh, to be friends. They're looking to replace the uh, Likud and the nationalists. So are they anti-religious? 
nationalist or they they I think it's more they are against those specific personalities Ben Beer and uh, Smotrich. Smotrich yeah yeah uh, I will say one thing though um, I don't have anything personal against Smotrich but he wants to change the law of return the law of return used to be if Hitler could kill anyone who had one quarter Jewish blood one grandparent yeah then that person should be allowed to move to Israel sure as part of this law, which has been in effect until now, we have tens of thousands every year of immigrants coming to Israel. They're not Jewish. They're, they're, they're three quarters Christian. Gotcha. Okay. They're Christian believers, you know. Sure. Uh, so he wants to change that. He wants to change the law to one parent. That would so they're fifty percent instead of yeah. twenty-five, so to speak. Right, and okay. that would cut out uh, a tremendous potential reservoir of immigration to Israel. Right. And one of the things that I shared last night here in Beit Hilah is that uh, there's going to be, I believe, uh, a major war with ISIS. ISIS, I believe, is going to overturn Saudi Arabia with all its oil, mm. overturn Jordan, overturn Syria, overturn Lebanon, and then they're going to turn their guns towards Israel. And Israel will have to expand in order to defend itself. Mm-hmm. You cannot stay in a such small country when they're shooting at you. Uh, Israel's borders, I predict, will grow from the Nile to the Euphrates. We are going to need massive immigration of Jews and Christians to the land of Israel. At this yeah. stage, Christians are not allowed at all, sure. except for those married to Jews. Yeah. Uh, I predict uh, in the future, I think I'm the only one in Israel and the only one in the world who's saying this, I want to create a United States of Israel. In other words, Syria, Lebanon, uh, Jordan, Saudi will now become Christian countries. Uh, under the aegis of Israel, under the flag of Israel. Okay. They will be federal autonomous republics uh, mm, as okay. part of the, the state of Israel. Yep. And uh, the Jews will maintain the majority in what is today Israel. Got it. But it will be a fellowship uh, uh, party, a fellowship nation. Sure. And Jews and Christians together, which is what I said at the very beginning. Yeah. We are one people. Yeah. We're the people of the Bible, That's people right. of the book. And so I'm very excited that we're living in such a time as this. Uh, and that we are witnesses to the miracles that God is, has been performing and has yet to perform. Yeah. No, I'm astounded at the recent news of Saudi Arabia and Iran reestablishing or normalizing relations again. Because uh, obviously the Shiites and the Sunnis hate each other. Exactly. As you've mentioned in the past. But also the fact that the Abraham Accords with these Gulf states that have been you know, stepping up and normalizing relations with Israel makes you kind of think like we thought Saudi was next in the Abraham Accords, but right. then this has obviously put a major wrench in the spokes right. to progress in that direction. Right. Uh, and it's, and it's a, an, almost an overt sign that they're not going to be normalizing relations with Israel. By the way, let me tell you something yeah. that was in the news this morning. The Saudis are uh, attaching uh, uh, conditions to the agreement with Iran. The Saudis are testing Iran before they set up embassies. So what's the conditions? Uh, uh, we don't know yet. But Hopefully it's a nuclear, you know, deep proliferation. I, I, I don't know what the conditions are, but I will say that if you remember ISIS in Iraq and Syria, ISIS was beheading Shiites more than it was beheading the heads of Christians. Sure. They, they beheaded everybody. But the, the the ISIS people who are Sunnis would say we hate Shiites more than we hate the, the Jews. It's interesting. Sectarian 
stuff. Yeah, it's stuff that goes back fourteen hundred years. Yeah, and there's no solution to that hatred other than them abandoning that religion. Yeah, that's. I mean, how it's it's odd, right? Because obviously, like you know, Protestants and Catholics. But they got know, over it, right? We don't get along, but you know, yeah. uh, or we don't see eye to eye, so to speak. But yeah. like, it's the ideology of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? right? Until we both defeat the enemy, and then we're back to being enemies of each other. Right? You know, it's 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 odd how how that goes. Um, so so obviously, Christians and Jews have a common enemy out right. there in the world. Common enemies. Two common enemies. Okay, what is, what are okay, they? One is Islam. Yep. And the other is the secular atheist one world government. I was about to say, I, we're, we're, we're with it. I say globalist and the, the radical Islamists. Right. So, so we have common enemies. Uh, how do you see, uh, obviously the Bible Block Party is a big piece of, of your work, but like for us out here in the, in the Goyim, you know, in the, in the nations. Um, Remember, I, you don't, you're too young. There used to be an LP record about the first family. And so Chiang Kai-shek, you know, is at this uh, luncheon at JFK's uh, White House. And uh, he said, I want a uh, ham sandwich with white lettuce, uh, with lettuce and tomato. And so JFK said, would you like some mayo? You know, like Mao Zedong mayo. He says, please, not to mention that name. So, <laughs> so what do you say here in the boy in the, in the Gentiles? Please, not to mention that name. <laughs> um, so how do you see... Uh, you know, folks out here, Christians that are in the nations, what what do you foresee that we can do to support Israel, support the Jewish okay. people, and and further our common cause? Okay. Firstly, uh, without being too uh, nepotistic, sure. Uh, my son Arab uh, has uh, uh, made four DVDs. I think he's working on new ones now. But he proves the veracity of the Bible. He proves that Shiloh really existed. Yeah. I mean, Shiloh was unknown until 1967. Uh, the uh, altar of Joshua has been found. Yeah, yeah. And they found the lead tablet with right. the oldest Hebrew letters from 1200 BC. Uh, Bethel, uh, the giant footprints. There are ar ar archaeological discoveries which all prove the veracity of the Bible. Now, why are atheists, Jew or Christian atheists, why are they atheists? And that's because they say, well, all these things in the Bible are fables. Right. They're fairy tales. Fairy tales. And so the job of the Jews and the Christians who really believe in God is to go out and to convert these atheists back to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and say, hey, listen, the Bible is true. Once you can convince the world that the Bible really is true and it's not fables, I think we're going to have the victory over the uh, atheists and the one world government. Okay, I like that. And, and he has, those are awesome DVDs. I've seen them. Um, just, you know, the, the one of the cool things is I, th I believe... Uh, Beit Tehillah congregation is in the credits there for supporting uh, absolutely by the uh, the drones right because and, and and I guess again me being naive I would think that there are people out there with drones that are doing the work already that Aaron's doing Aaron's nope. private citizen out there he's doing the, the work he's the first and so just flying drones over these areas that are not really inhabited currently in uh, Judea and Samaria which the world would call the West Bank uh, the biblical heartland would be a better Right. Uh, description of it um, but it, it's really where all the Bible stories that we read these accounts that we read in the Bible this is where they happen right and then how do we prove that well this the basic first step is flying a drone which is what Aaron does over these areas and seeing this looks like there's a structure there hey this looks like there's something there and then the archaeologists come in exactly right. right and then pointing it to where to the, the academic groups that can come in there and actually do the work 
of excavating and figuring out, oh, look, we found a lead tablet, right? That when we, when we scan it, we found the verifiably oldest Hebrew inscription we've ever found in right. history. I mean, hello. You know, there's another thing. Shiloh uh, uh, was discovered how. Uh, the settlers came to the, this Arab Christian town called the Ruins of Shiloh. Huh. And, uh, so how I, did they know it was Shiloh? So Just they kidding. asked the people, how do you yeah. know where Shiloh is? <laughs> so it's right here in the valley. Yeah. They went down, they found all these pieces of broken pottery. Yeah. Because, you know, after the, the sacrifice, right, they, they break smashed it. And let me tell you, there's a ton of pottery there. I mean, you yeah. just walk around and just like, look a handle. Take as much as you want. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, so when they brought in the archaeologists, they found four Greek churches. And they started digging. And two feet, uh, two yards down, six feet down, they found in front of a church a Greek mosaic saying, May the Lord Jesus Christ have mercy on the people of Shiloh. Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is from the seventh century That's right. AD. I've seen that actually. Yeah. I've been so, there. so I'm just saying this is a joint project of the Jews and the Christians. Not only that, one, I mean, the thing that was impressive to me. I, I like the fact that there's things that point and say, "Hey, this is the actual place." Right. What was even cooler is that they they think they found the actual place where the tabernacle stood right. for 369 years. Correct. So this is when you read about Eli and his sons, and you read about Hannah. And you read about Samuel. Yeah. I mean, this is the place where all of this stuff went down. And you can be like, wait, that means the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, stood right here. Right. And the glory of God stood in this place. You know. And so I remember uh, we were pruning, uh, being there pruning and looking up and seeing the visitor center. There's a big, you know, UFO circle looking yeah. visitor center thing. Flying there. saucer center. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and looking and being like, wow. Like and and they have flags set up where the the tabernacle would have stood. And it's just like, man. I mean, that's. That it's right there, and you know what? And it exists, like right here, like like just like this table exists in front of me. And we're the there. generation that is witnessing. Amen. This. And we're part of con continuing discoveries. Amen. Cool. So if somebody wants to support uh, your your work, uh, the Bible Block Party, what, what would be the best thing for them to do, and where can they go to do it? I would say they should go to my website, which is biblicalalliance.com. Biblicalalliance.com, spelled normal, right? right. And okay. There we take donations. Okay. And, uh, Remember, we are not 501c3. Okay. I'm a lecturer. I'm an author. And everything gets cleared with the tax authorities. I, you know, there's no messing around with that. Sure. And uh, God willing, uh, the day will come that uh, our party will get into the Knesset. Okay. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you and ask you a question, could they email you? Or... Vic Mord. Vic, like victory. Yep. V-I-C-M-O-R-D, like Mordecai. Uh-huh. 2001 at yahoo.com. That's another thing. I don't think people realize that you, your book, you wrote the original books on Islam, you wrote under an alias, Victor Mordecai. I was afraid to be killed. For good reason. Right. <laughs> but you've since come out of the, the shadows. Well, you can't run for office under an assumed name. Ah, uh, roger that, roger that. Awesome. Okay, well, um, so Vic Mord, 2001 at yahoo.com, uh, and they can also probably contact you through the website uh, at biblicalalliance.com, right. I'm sure. Um, and then you can give there, they can buy your books there right? and all that kind of stuff. And I recommend uh, all of his books. They're fascinating. Uh, it, what's funny is you're the type that like you can pull on a, so many different threads and we can unravel like any subject, history, all that kind of stuff. So Everything is interconnected. Yeah. I connect the dots. Yeah, exactly. There yeah. you go. So uh, awesome. Well, uh, like I said, if you wanted to reach out to him, you can do that through the means we mentioned. You can uh, keep the conversation going with us in the comments or you can email me at ryan at twopraise.net. Bless you guys. Have a great week. Shalom, y'all.